Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to the Braveheart podcast. Our heart behind this podcast is to create gospel-centered content that helps you walk in freedom, freedom from sin and freedom in your relationship with the Lord. And we do that through producing gospel-centered messages that are focused on Jesus and who he is and what he's done and what it means to live life with him as Christians. This episode is a message that Peter shared at CFNI a while back, where he really dives into the distinctions between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, and just how clean the blood of Jesus has truly made us. So I hope you enjoy. We're going to talk about the Old Covenant versus the New Covenant. Um, Covenant is just a fancy word for relationship. Okay? You think covenant, think relationship. And it's not just any relationship. It's a relationship that, that God is in. Okay? It's a relationship involving God. So it's, it's of a different caliber than human relationships. There can be covenants between humans because God's involved in that covenant. But you can't have covenant without God. Okay? You can have agreements, you can have partnerships, you can have marriages, in quotations. But without God joining the spirits, there's no covenant, okay? Covenant is, is deep, it's powerful, it's, uh, it's binding. And so, something we're going to do, we're going to start unpacking, is the difference between the way God related to Israel in the Old Covenant, and now the way God relates to those who have been born again into the New Covenant. Now you may think this is super elementary, this is super basic, um, and it is in a lot of senses, uh, but I'm surprised at how much of, of an Old Covenant mindset that many of us have in our relationship to God. And it's evidenced, that Old Covenant mindset is evidenced a number of ways. It's evidenced in the fact that we don't have confidence in our, in our relationship with God. So one of the ways you say, Peter, how, how, would, you, how would you tell me if I'm having sort of a, an Old Covenant paradigm view of God? I would say, you may not be confident in your relationship with Him. What does that look like? Um, you, you don't feel comfortable to talk to him about everything. In fact, it's, you, find it, you find it harder to uh, talk to God. You have to schedule the time to talk to God only. And you don't talk to him throughout your day and in your consciousness and the meditation of your thoughts. It's not a continual flow in communion with him. Your time with God is only ever scheduled. Now listen, scheduled time with God is good, Right? You should schedule time with God. I schedule time with my wife to go on date nights. Thursday night, I've shared this a lot before. It's date nights. Praise God. I love date night. Look forward to it every week. So, but at the same time, that's not the only time. Like, when, like last night, we were like, we got the kids down, which was a zoo, by the way. It was a zoo. Rod of discipline drives folly out of the heart. I was just like, Lord, let the folly come out, you know, <laughs> let it all come out. Um, 
and we got there, and, and it would have been weird if I sat down with my wife after the kids got down and we're sitting in our living room and said, you know, I'll see you date night. Right? Well, no, this isn't the time for us because this isn't the scheduled time. Right? But for many of us, in our minds, we only, we only feel comfortable relating to God when the circumstances are right for our quiet time. Like, even now, you're like, ah, oh, can, I, can I hear God now in this environment? Yeah. Yeah, you can, he can either say amen or hey, you should watch what he's saying. And I hope he's saying that in your ear. hope you hear him like that. Because I hope you test everything I say. I hope you take it to the Word of God. I hope you, you search it out for yourself and don't just take me as a talking head for it. I don't, it's not my ego. It's not about me. I'm, I'm trying to be a pure vessel for the Lord, but I want you to hear him for yourself. Amen? Because then it's strong. Then it's powerful. Then it's something. It's not, well, you know, that's what Peter said. The devil doesn't care what Peter said, and your mom doesn't care what Peter said, and your sister doesn't, and the guy on the street doesn't care what Peter said. He cares if you have the fire of God inside of you or not. That's what they care about. Do you have God in you or not? This, the, the Acts 17, I think, the sons of Sceva, he's trying to cast out devils. He's like, Paul, I know. Jesus, I know. I have no idea who you cats are. And the, <laughs> they whoop these dudes. These demons whoop these dudes because they had someone else's faith. They didn't have faith of their own. Why am, I, why am I getting on to that? Because this environment, if you're not careful, Bible college environment can lend itself to that. Man, you can be in the best class. You can be getting the best teaching. But unless you get alone with God and hear from Him yourself, uh, you don't have anything. You must. Uh, uh, this, was, this was a few months ago. Um, I, was, I was in prayer and, and this phrase came to me and the Lord said, uh, to represent, to represent of God of fire, to represent a God of fire without fire is hypocrisy. Think about it. We say that the God we serve and we follow is an all-consuming fire. He's a God of fire. So if we walk around as sons and daughters of God and we're not carrying the fire of God, what do, what do I mean when I say the fire of God? I mean the tangible reality of who he is in in our inmost being and that we can express it through a word through a touch through a posture through a behavior through a wisdom through an insight through a revelation through solving a problem that's so far beyond what the world is capable of if we cannot do that not saying not not like all the time and that we're not growing up into that but if if that's not our grid, if we're just content kind of having sort of a, a form of godliness that has no power impact on the world around us, it's hypocrisy. And this is why the world is confused about Christianity right now. Because we have people who claim Christ who don't reflect Christ. Right? Yes. And so we want to remedy that. And the way we remedy that is we have to renew our minds from an old covenant mindset to a new covenant mindset. Hebrews 8, uh, verse 8, quoting Jeremiah 31, says this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel. Say new covenant. And with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. 
for they did not continue in my covenant. Interesting. So, so right off the bat, God is comparing two covenants. Okay? So we have biblical precedent to compare these covenants. Why? Because there's been a shift take place. And so you've got to understand what the old one was so you can understand what the new one is. Okay? So they did not continue. So part of the, part of the nature of the old covenant was that they, they did not continue in it. That was God's, God's highlighting that as a problem, is that, that they, there was a covenant laid out and they were not able to stay within the boundary lines of that covenant, right? Okay. And so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. Verse 10, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. Watch this. I will put my laws into their minds. Wow. And write them on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Watch this. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. Oh, let us not be numb to this reality. Verse 13. Watch this. In speaking of a new covenant, something happens. God makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Right? So, like I said, we are jumping into Hebrews 8, which has Hebrews 1 through 7 in the first part of 8 as a context. So we are going right into the deep end. So if you have not read through Hebrews 1 through 10, uh, this is a side note. This, reading this every day for a month will change your life. I'll just throw that out there. I don't have time to unpack that. You can take my word for it or not. Okay. Let me make a quick note here about Old and New Covenant. Is, is the Old Testament the Old Covenant? Is the Old Testament growing obsolete and ready to vanish away? Okay. Let's not be confused. Some people will try to lump Old Covenant and Old Testament together. Oh, that's Old Testament. No, 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 no. Don't tell me that's the Old Testament. Jesus is found in the Old Testament. All Scripture is God-breathed and profitable for da-da-da-da-da. That was the Old Testament. Do you know the Scripture? All Scripture is God-breathed. I think it's in Timothy. It's profitable for reproof and teaching. And it's a, They did not have the New Testament when that was written. So all Scripture is talking about the Old Testament, the Law and the Prophets. So before you start saying, well, that's Old Testament. That's all the early church had. So they knew Jesus through the Old Testament. I get real wary of people who say, well, it's the Old Testament. Okay. But Jesus said of himself, I think in John 6, he said that Moses spoke of me. 
So the, the writings of the Old Testament speak to Jesus. And so just Old Testament good, Old Covenant fading away. What's the difference? These are writings of the Holy Spirit that represent shadows, the shadow of Christ, okay? Just because it's a shadow doesn't mean it's not real, okay? So in the Old Testament, you see a shadow of Christ. You see a a, a form of realities that are reflecting something greater. So in looking at the shadow, you can get an idea of what the actual thing looks like, even though it's in part, right? In the New Testament, what's so beautiful about the New Testament is you actually begin to see the revelation of Jesus, which is the substance belongs to Christ. That's what the Word says, right? The Word says the substance belongs to Christ. Oh, I love that phrase. The substance belongs to Christ, okay? But the Old Covenant is how people related to God in the Old Testament. It's about relationship. Old covenant is relationship. So here's what we're going to look at. Relation, if it's all about relationship, we talked about the garden. We talked about intimacy. We talked about friendship. And before the old covenant, you had, you had pre-fall glory. Okay? There was this covenant was the covenant of creation. It was like, you're my kid. You're mine. I'm yours. No shame, nothing in between us. This covenant was a covenant of glory. There was no, there was nakedness and unashamed. They could know each other face to face, Adam and God pre-fall, right? Right? So, so there's precedent prior to the old covenant for God and man walking around together being unashamed. So then you see the fall of man happen, okay? You see the flood. You see God makes a covenant with Noah, be fruitful and multiply. He gives them a thing again. And then all of a sudden, you know, you have the whole history, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. All right. Jacob becomes Israel. And then and and God makes covenant. okay, through Abraham and he creates a people. And then when, when you see Moses take them out of Egypt into the wilderness onto Mount Sinai, they get the law, and here's where God makes covenant on Mount Sinai with the people of Israel. Covenant is made, okay? And I'm going to give you a high level. So God gives them ten commandments, two tablets of stone, okay? And this is what God's doing. God takes them out of slavery, brings them into the wilderness. Why did He do those two things? Why did He take them out of slavery and into the wilderness? What was the purpose? What was the end? To take them into the promised land. So taking them out of Egypt was not the end. It was a means to an end. God pulling you out of sin is not the end. God says, look, you're in, you're in Egypt. I want to take you out so that you may worship me. That was, the, that was the language used. Let my people go that they may worship me, right? God wanted to worship. So then God, in the Ten Commandments, He also sets up a tabernacle. The tabernacle of Moses. Everyone say tabernacle. tabernacle. So this is cool. Because God tells Mo, He says, Moses, listen, I want you to build something. Okay, but I need you to be real careful. Anyone here done any construction work? 
Okay? A few of you. So God and Moses are together, and he's getting blueprints for an earthly structure. This is so cool to me. God's like, hey, um, remember when I said I wanted you to worship me? And you're like, yeah, like we're just going to get the pads out, and we just kind of worship you how we feel. And God's like, no, 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 no. There's actually, there's actually some parameters of your worship in the place of worship. God ordained parameters for communing and worshiping Him. Okay? Detailed. Down to colors, down to dimensions, down to, to, to proximity. You couldn't just walk right into the presence of God in the Old Covenant, right? You guys know these things? Okay? You had a tabernacle. Okay? You had an outer court, and you have an inner court, and then you have the holy of holies, okay? And there's elements in this tabernacle, and God's given Moses every blueprint. I want it to, the poles to be like this, and I want the, the badger skins and, and, and this, and I want there to be a, 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 an altar right here, a fire, okay? There's going to be fire, and then you're going to have a, a bronze laver of, of water, okay? And so you're going to, you know, before you can come in here, outside, you can do this all the time outside. You can kill the lambs, and you can wash in the water, okay? Every morning and every evening, you shall sacrifice a lamb to me on the thing. All of these details line by line. You guys read through Exodus and stuff? It's, it's, it's robust instructions, okay? You think, why? Why would God do that? God was letting Moses know in the people, this is what I like. This is what I like. These are the confines. These are the, this, is how, this is how you can know you're hitting the mark with my heart. How many of you today, you're like, I want to know that I'm hitting the heart of God. Like, like, like God, just line it out. How many of you, like, you, you say that, like, I want to be in your will. Just line it out, right? This is God letting them know, hey, I'm lining it out. This is how you can be in my will. This is how I want you to worship me. And he goes on and he gives instructions about, about incense and a table of showbread. And, and there's a veil that's super thick in certain colors. And um, there's, there's lamps and, and all these things in here. And, and this, by the way, this tabernacle is Jesus, And I don't have time right now to go into that. But this tabernacle is Jesus. And he's seen in this this thing. There's there's shadows of Jesus in the tabernacle. Okay? And then in here you had the Ark of the Covenant. And this is where... I don't know why it's so crooked. Just because I'm not good at drawing. And in here there was no light. This is so cool. Did you know there was no light in the Holy of Holies? No light. Pitch black except for the glory of God. What lit up this place was God. Divine light. Divine revelation. See, this was man-made light. Lamps in the inner court. Out here, sunlight. It's different, okay? So only once a year, say once a year. Could the high priest come in to the Holy of Holies? And and this is what God said. There I will speak with you. I want you to build all of this. And then this Holy of Holies in this tabernacle, at this tabernacle, he says, there, not here, not here, there, I will speak to you at the Ark of the Covenant. Why? Was God's presence here in the Old Covenant? 
Was he everywhere? Was his manifest presence everywhere? His, his presence was in this wooden box called the Ark of the Covenant. He was confined to this, this thing. And this was God saying, I'm going to dwell here. God dwelt right here. When the ark went to Obed-Edom's house, God went to Obed-Edom's house. He was not with Israel. He was with Obed-Edom. And Obed-Edom starts getting radically blessed. He's like, this is awesome. I've got God in my house. <laughs> Referencing Samuel. Okay? So, so God was not... He, God was here in a very defined way. God was not everywhere. He was not with the Philistines. He was not with the Malachites. He was with Israel, and He dwelt in this tent. Oh, hear me. Come on, see, we grew up, we grew up New Covenant. We're like, oh, He's everywhere. Yeah, he, he, he's, he's, he is everywhere. He's omnipresent. But here, in relating to Israel, He's, he's uniquely dwelt in the, in the Ark of the Covenant, in a wooden box. I want you to picture this. You have to understand this. You will not appreciate the New Covenant or walk in the glory of it until you understand this reality. The people of Israel were camped all around. And this was at the center of the camp. Okay? Only Levites could come in here this was a tribe of people. When you see Levites, they were from Levi, okay? Aaron was a Levite, and so they were the only ones that could perform these duties. So if you were just a Benjaminite, you're like, hey, I want to go in the tab and talk to God. Nope. Think about this. You could not hear from God except through the priests. Y'all, we don't, we don't understand because we, we've grown up. We've grown up with the new covenant as Gentile Christians. And so we don't appreciate what we have. We're the classic spoiled kid who grew up with everything. And we just think, well, yeah, that's just how things work. You just, you know, your maid comes and makes your bed. And, you know, you have dinner made for you every night. And you don't work. And you, someone pays for your college. And that's normal, right? And, and you're like, no, 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 that's not normal. That's privileged. That's blessed. That's amazing. That's glorious, right? I'm using an earthly example here, clearly. So until we understand how Israel worshiped and related to God, you will not appreciate what you have in him. Okay? So, <clears throat> so not only did you have the Ten Commandments, but you had conditions on worship and approaching God. All right? We'll get into more of this on, uh, on Thursday. But I wanted you to see this. This is, this is the framework of the Old Covenant. And so Israel was nomadic, so they could pack this thing up. This tent could pack up. And uh, according to the law, this thing would be carried on poles. Levites would carry the Ark of the Covenant on poles. They couldn't touch it. Uzzah touched it in 2 Samuel 6, and he died because they were carrying it the wrong way. It was on a cart, a new cart with oxen, and it just got real messy. Yeah. So let's just, let's just go right for the jugular. Does everyone understand that, that what dwelt in this box dwells right here? Dude. You don't. You don't. You don't. Because this is God. So... Yeah, that's how it looks. They're carrying this thing. Uzzah touches it and dies. I had a vision one time. I'll share this with you. 
I was studying side by side 2 Samuel in Hebrews. Okay, so I'm getting all of this hitting me from every angle. I'm studying the ark. They're carrying the ark was going around every which way, and all of a sudden David's like he becomes king. He's like, hey, I want to bring this ark back to the city of David, Jerusalem, and I want to do the worship thing there. We're going to do the tabernacle of David, and so they start bringing the ark back. Well, David you interpret it to understand that he does not go back to Exodus and understand that the ark was only meant to be carried by the Levites with the poles because he put it on a cart with oxen, which was a man-made thing. Okay, the Levites were set apart and holy. you got to understand this stuff. They were set apart and holy to carry the presence of God. So the first... They first tried to bring it back with a cart and oxen. The oxen's walking around. They're doing their song and dance. And the, the oxen stumbles. Whoops. And, and the cart starts to tip. And Uzzah thinks, God's going to spill out of this box. <laughs> if you were walking next to the ark and you knew God was in that box, and you're like, this is about to get bad. He's going to spill out. This is like the atomic bomb. Like there was a holy reverence. So Uzzah takes one for the team. He's like, I got it, guys. I got it. And he reaches out to stable the thing and boom, he dies. Okay. And I remember thinking like, what? God, that's mean. You know, like he took the, he took the grenade for the team, you know, and David gets upset. David gets like frantic. And so then it turns aside to Obed-Edom's house. Okay. And I remember I had this vision. All of a sudden I go and I'm there in the scene. Okay. That's why it's real to me. I'm like, I'm there. Uzzah's dead. David's like freaking out. And I walk up to David and I'm like, David, I said, um, I said, do you see the ark? And he goes, yeah. And I said, I said, I'm from the future. I don't know. It's just what I said in my thing. <laughs> I said, that lives inside of me. And he goes, that's impossible. He goes, that's impossible. And he's looking at me like I'm crazy. I said, no, it lives inside of me. I said, let me explain. I said, many years from now, I said, God sends his son as a lamb. As soon as I said lamb, the dots in his head connected. I don't know how it works. Again, this is just, you know, in my imagination. I say vision. It was a a prayer, imagination. I'm, I'm... Anyway, I don't know how it works. I'm not seeing it with my open eyes. I'm just in my spirit and heart. I'm there. And, and when I said lamb, I saw he goes, it clicked with him. And I said, yeah, I said, I said, God himself shed his blood for humanity. And all of a sudden in this vision, I have the revelation. How clean must you and I be? For the holy God to dwell in this mortal temple. How clean must the blood of Jesus make this temple for the for the ark? There it goes. For the ark to dwell in you and you don't explode and die immediately. Can't have it both ways. You can't have it both ways. Well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. If you are, then you don't have God in you because boom, you'd be dead like Uzzah. If you're clean, though, and you have God in there, then, then the testimony that God's in there is a testimony of how clean his blood has made you. This is a big deal. This is a big deal. And this is one of the primary chief differences between the old and the new covenant. Okay? 
And so many of us, we take for granted what made this this ark with God's presence in it distinguished Israel from every other nation. Meaning with this ark, they would win battles they weren't supposed to win. They would cross rivers they couldn't cross. It, it distinguished them, okay? But God says now in the new covenant, He goes, man, I'm not dwelling in, in, in buildings made by hands. I dwell in hearts. And this is the mystery of the gospel is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Okay? This is the great mystery. Wow. This is the great mystery of the new covenant. That's why when, when I mentioned last week about Ephesians 3, and I said that the, the mystery hidden for ages now revealed to his saints is this. The Gentiles are fellow heirs. And you're like, oh, okay. Why, why is that? Why would God, why would that be the big reveal? is that Gentiles are fellow heirs in covenants. They're, they're in the covenant now. The big deal is because God has said, hey, by the way, I'm choosing to reveal my heart. Being in a tent, being in a tent with blood and animals, he goes, that's not close enough to you. Let's get to the heart of the matter. God's like, I'm a God of love. I'm not content just being in a tent with you around me. I need to be inside of you. This is the heart of God. This isn't just about something to distinguish you and make you go, oh, I feel super special. I feel super anointed and powerful. No, it's about the love of God. He's not content. He is love. He is love. The problem in the heart of God, the problem with sin is that He is love, and love itself has to be close in proximity. God wants nearness with you. The revelation of the old covenant is that God wanted nearness. Not that God wanted barriers. He says, I want nearness. And he did all of this so that they could get near to him. Because here, listen, the, the, the only thing the blood of the lamb could do could only cleanse their conscience for a moment. Yeah. It couldn't take away sin. And you'll discover that in Hebrews 10. It says, man, the, the blood of bulls and goats could never take away sin until the lamb of God came. And this is, what, this is why I'm saying many of us have an Old Testament view of the new covenant, is you think the blood of Jesus is just like the blood of bulls and goats. You sin, you screw up, you go back to God, and you say, oh, I need to sacrifice a lamb. I need to come back and repent to God. I need to be cleansed in my conscience, and then I can draw near to God. So inadvertently, what you're doing is you're treating the blood of Jesus like the blood of a lamb or a bull or a goat. So then we have to get to how do you then deal with sin in the midst of a new covenant, and we'll get there, right? We'll get there. How do we process sin? What, do, do, does my sin all of a sudden kick me out of the Holy of Holies? Now i got to work my way back in. Hebrews 3, look, what I just, did you guys see the visual here? Getting kicked out of the Holy of Holies? Some of y'all, that, that just hit home for y'all. Like you stumble, you fall, and you think, man, I got, man, I had, I had gone, I gone 10 days. I went, some of you, that's, it's okay, that's what happens. 10 days, you think, oh, I went 10 days without looking at porn. I went 10 days without doing the thing. And what happened in your conscience, you felt because the 10 days was inching you ever closer to the presence of God. 
And so then in worship, you're like, oh, your conscience gets clearer. Your confidence gets stronger because, you man, oh, it's been 10 days, it's been 12 days, it's been 15 days. Oh, thank God. All of a sudden, you maybe stumble and fall, and you're like, whoo, i got to start back from square one again. And you back up over here, and you think, man, okay, but I'm coming for you. I'm determined. And so then all of a sudden, I'm going to do the things, and I know this time it's going to be 18 days. And what happens is you think your proximity to God is based on your performance. But your proximity to God in the new covenant is based on a person that's not you. So when I did the whole David thing, this is called repentance. What's happening corporately, did you notice no one's crying? Maybe a few of you are. But there wasn't, there wasn't groveling. What's happened corporately here is it's been repentance. When they're doing like this, and oh my gosh, it's called repentance. I want to give you a visual. It's repentance. You just repented this morning. You repented this morning. That's what it feels like. Repentance feels, there's joy, there's refreshing. You're like, oh my gosh. And you get joy. Why? Because all of a sudden you're seeing God and you're turning away from what you knew Him to be and you're going, wow. And then worship came. So not only you repented and you worshiped this morning. That's what this, there was no pads, there was no song. All we did was through this revelation of the covenant, you saw that the cross, what you already know, you saw, wow, how clean must the cross have made me for that ark to live inside of me. And all of a sudden, on your insides explode, and you're like, oh my gosh, I love you. That's worship. That's repentance. And all the gospel is, is continuing in this faith. You just continue in the faith. You just continue. Just keep looking at him. Guys, I'm telling you, I've looked at I've looked at this. I don't get tired of looking at this. We leave here. He said, he said, man, Al Zavian told me the other day. He goes, he's this is a fourth semester together. He goes, I've heard you say this stuff all the time. He goes, it's it's so fresh. It's so, so encouraging. Like I tell him this. I get more out of this than you do. I leave and I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'm so clean. Thank you, Lord. Like, and I, I'm living, I'm walking in it, but I'm not, it's not like I'm numb to it. It's not like, well, this is just a cool little revelation to throw you a cookie. It's like, no, I leave here and I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm carrying the ark of God. Like, it's real. It's not, you don't get numb to it. It's not something that you, you, you mentally, intellectually go, oh yeah, I get it now. You don't get it, you get, you get wrecked by it. I hope this episode has been as impactful to you as it has been to me. And next week actually is part two to this message. Peter did a two-part series. And so next week we'll be diving more into the new covenant and what it means to walk with Jesus and the new covenant. So stay tuned and subscribe if you haven't already. And we'll see you next week.